Your Life podcast with host Andy Vasily. I'm Andy Vasily, and today on the show, well-known consultants Ann Van Dam and Kath Murdoch here to talk about the changing face of professional development, especially during the time of COVID. How the pandemic has changed the way we approach professional development, but also what hasn't changed. As schools around the world try to navigate the tricky waters of the pandemic, what do they want to keep? What has worked well? But also, how might they repackage professional development to be more meaningful and purposeful for all stakeholders in the organization. Thoughts and ideas to challenge and inspire. Let's pick it up with Anne and Kath introducing themselves and sharing what life has been like for them since the start of the pandemic. So my name is Anna. A lot of people call me Anne, but I'm Dutch. I live in the Netherlands in The Hague. I work at a local IB PYP school here in The Hague, in Inner City School, um, not far from where I live. Uh, so I'm a teacher, but I'm also a consultant, and a lot of people know me, I think, uh, my work for the IB and as an early childhood consultant. Over to you, Kat. <laughs> so I'm Kath Murdoch, and I uh, mainly consult, but I still think of myself as a teacher. I do a lot of work in schools at the moment, almost all work in schools in Australia, and uh, but also prior to this, a lot of work overseas, and um, my area of interest is inquiry-based learning, um, and mainly in from sort of four-year-olds through to 12-year-olds, so mainly that, those sort of primary to early um, middle years. Okay, great. And you know, what's amazing, and I said this to both of you when we started the discussion before we hit record, is that it was about a year ago when I had you on my Mm -hmm. In Times of Uncertainty series, and I reached out to both Mm -hmm. of you, and we had these great discussions, and now it's a year later. And, you know, so much has changed and continues to change, but where I want to go with this right now, and Kath, maybe you can start us off, and then Anne, I'll have you answer the same question after, but in regards to the past year, as you think about the work that you do, what do you mm-hmm. feel your biggest insight or aha moment has been? So, mm. Wow, there's, there's, there are many, I, I guess, when I look back over the year, and it really does feel like a looking back for me now here in Australia, Touchwood, we're actually really in a very fortunate position. Um, Our schools have been back in session since the beginning of of the year and I've been um, working in schools with teachers, in classrooms and travelling interstate. So for the most part, things do feel relatively um, normal. Um, So in some ways that that looking back really is... um, uh, very much a kind of there's there's almost you know there's almost a tiny little bit of nostalgia for me which is very strange nostalgia for lockdown and I only mean that in that that was a time unprecedented for me where I wasn't rushing around I wasn't traveling and I was also really fortunate incredibly fortunate to have my children one of them come home to live with us so we had this amazing period where 
as a family, we were all together again, having dinner around the table every night. So I guess at a personal level, and I know that's, I'm really, really lucky in that it, it's been so, so awful for so many people, but at a personal level, there was some, some things that I could be incredibly grateful for. So in some ways, the slowing down um, for me meant that I could really feed my creative side a little more. I have worked on a creative project during that time that I'm excited about that's coming to fruition soon, Um, you know, made stuff for the website as well as, you know, learning. The biggest thing of all was learning how to conduct a online workshop, which now I think nothing of but got to say, when it all started, I was pretty scared about that. So that's an, not so much an aha, but just a great reminder of our capacity um, to learn and to unlearn and to relearn. Yeah, great. And Yeah, I was still thinking about what Kat this shared. I think I can definitely relate to this notion of slowing down. But looking back, I think, you know, when I had that first conversation with you, Andy, I felt very, very overwhelmed. Uh, particularly at the beginning as we sort of had to figure out online learning in a day and uh, all that mm. stuff that was inundated uh, on the internet and everybody had an opinion right away. I felt very overwhelmed by that, I think. Mm. Uh, but looking back, um, there's definitely been a moment where I had to dip into my own resilience. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lockdown, we're now sort of 12, 14 weeks in, I'm still in lockdown. Um, so um. thinking about... Um, yeah, gratefulness uh, as a way yeah. of kind of uh, be resilient. I think that that was a big thing for me on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the other thing is in sort of like um, a gradual uh, aha moment, perhaps, you know, it kind of dawned on me, uh, Andrew, uh, Andy, was this notion of uh, kind of rethinking what works. Because um, I think what I've noticed, and I think that that's really interesting, is that the way I interact and work with school leaders has shifted. Uh, whereas, you know, previously it, it would be kind of like maybe one or two conversations, you write a proposal, you kind of go back and forth, and then it was kind of mm-hmm. done. And then maybe two months or six uh, weeks later, uh, you would uh, arrive at a school, uh, you conduct your professional learning, perhaps uh, have conversations with the school leaders um, when you leave, you write something, and then that's that. And now it's kind of like, you know, there's a little bit here, there's a little bit there. And in between, there's a lot of back and forth between me and school leaders. So Mm. I think that's really positive uh, that Mm. there is that uh, increased collaboration with people who are in the school that know their school so well, know the teachers really well. So like that. Think that that's the silver lining for me a different way of working uh, but definitely um you know that collaboration with school leaders that i really appreciate so more on an ongoing basis and that's what i've found through my work as well is this ongoing relationship and that that was new because before i was just going for two days to run a workshop and then i would fly back and that would be it and maybe check in with the school at a later point Um, But it's been a continued relationship that I have found very rewarding with schools and teachers. And I guess when we we think of the pre-COVID face-to-face model of delivering workshops and conferences, do you think that's done? Some people are saying it's done, it's not going to return. Yeah, what are your thoughts? And we'll start with you, Mm. but what are your thoughts about that? idea is the pre-COVID face-to-face model done or is there still a place for it what what do you think will shift 
I have to say, I was already more and more focused on long-term relationships with schools. And I think schools are more and more realizing this. I know Kath also works with many schools for many years. Um, and that's, I think, how you deepen a relationship with people, but also with the school and its context. And that people can um, deepen their practices over time, right? So I think that one-off model is something that was already, yeah, people started to rethink. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it will completely disappear, to be honest. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's that effective. Uh, but maybe I'm getting ahead of you now, um, Andy, with my response. But I, I can imagine that perhaps a model where you meet face-to-face and then you go back to your own context, your places, your your, your stories and so on, uh, and that then you continue that conversation and you continue that work online. So perhaps a sort of blended model would work well. That's what I'm kind of thinking about in my mind at the moment. Yeah. Kath, what, what about you and your, your experiences in projecting forward? Yeah, look, uh, for me, um, uh, the notion of an ongoing partnership, as Anne's just alluded to, that's actually is my mainstay. So my work has never been lots and lots of one-off workshops. I I do some of them and I actually think, to be honest, I think they have a place. This conversation, this debate is so not new. When I, way, way back, people were talking about the ineffectiveness of the one-off professional learning, that's old news. Um, We know that it is less effective, but I also think that it has a place if it's well positioned in the journey for people. So it might be, for example, that the one-off workshop stays as a kind of an invitation to people to get a sense of what this might look like and then to make a choice from there about whether it's a journey they want to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, or the other role I think they can have for some teachers is someone once described it to me as it's like you drink from the well. It's a chance to go to the well and fill yourself up a little bit with a bit inspiration, a shot in the arm um, as you carry forward. So uh, there is a place, but as long as people understand, and I think most educators do understand that no massive shift is going to happen because you've gone to a two-day workshop. Like that's, as I say, old news. We've, we've always known that. So uh, effective leaders and indeed effective teachers understand that, that ideally that workshop, that experience is part of often already a hybrid blended approach of of a different nature. There's, I agree with Anne that perhaps one of the tweaks to the work that I've been doing, even with my local schools here, is that because we've got more confident with the online uh, work, so for example, I have several schools interstate, that I can now do like little half hour, short, sharp um, sessions with a, a, a team that I, that I know well and, and, that's that's been really really lovely. It's it feels like my my um, schedule's now like a really detailed patchwork quilt. Is yours like that, Anne? It's like oh my god. So I mean, it was always hard to manage, but it's really hard now. Um, but but that's that's been great. But look, as I say, ongoing spaced um, learning experiences we've always known are going to trump a one off. But that doesn't mean that the one off can't continue to have a role and I want to say having been had the fortunate experience of actually being back in a workshop room with people live I think I underestimated the 
the energy, the palpable human connection that you have when you are in a room together. And it wasn't until I went back and experienced it again at the beginning of this year that I went, oh, that's right, that's right. This is actually, there's something here, no matter how great a Zoom session could be, there is there is this feeling that you cannot get on the screen. So I would be sad to think that people are getting excited about professional learning now being something we only do like this. I think being in the room has such power too. Yeah, and and as a presenter, that energy, as you say, you know, and, and yeah. returning back to that face-to-face workshop and the energy that comes with presenting and connecting to the teachers and seeing their body language live yep. in, in front of you makes such a difference. And it's the I, little things, yeah. yeah. It's the little. It's the, it's the little asides. It's the you know when yeah. It, it's the conversation. It's human connection. Um, you get it a bit online, but it's not the same. (laughs) Sure. And one of the things I wanted to dive into is that I've heard lots of stories. I've spoken with teachers in different schools and there is a sense, and I don't want to paint a picture of doom and gloom, but there is a sense that teachers around the world really are struggling right now. And as much as school leaders need their schools to get on with teaching and learning like teaching and learning is not going to stop if we're online or face-to-face we have to get on with teaching and learning Um, teachers can feel that any extra not anything extra but any kind of focus on literacy or math or agency workshops or any kind of workshop right now is adding to their already busy plates Um, so and what are your thoughts about what schools need to do to redefine what getting on with teaching means during this time so so nothing feels like it's an add-on to the already busy plates of teachers? Like how do conversations need to change or what needs to happen so that it doesn't feel like it's an add-on? It's just a part of teaching and learning during the pandemic and, and moving forward. Yeah, well, I kind of think this through, but I guess I'd start with this with this acknowledgement that it's been a tough year for teachers. And I think uh, many people mm-hmm. have uh, gone into a lockdown in their lives have kind of slowed down, but nothing has changed. Well, things have changed dramatically, but they're doing uh, work from home, right? And I guess this idea of the boundaries between work and home have um, mm-hmm. kind of uh, evaporated mm-hmm. in many ways. But I guess for teachers, it's been a really tough year. We're constantly... Mm-hmm into different circumstances and then you go back to school and then there's protocols and different uh, schedules and you're like I'm living that reality and it's tough um, I think we often rely on a lot of kind of routines and rituals and schedules because there's so much day that you've got to cope with right if you think about um, you know what children bring and the moment they, they walk into the door and this really complex process of getting learning something uh, alongside children so I think it's important to uh, acknowledge that um, yeah like I think it's been a tough year for people so when we now start talking about um, professional learning that might feel like gosh you know this is another thing I got to do and I'm already exhausted so Mm -hmm. it's important to acknowledge that I think Um, yeah and I want to 
you know, I've been thinking about something that Barry DeQuain said to me the other day. I was in a Zoom meeting with him and he talked about this idea of emotional security. And, and, and I think you know, what he said was that he felt that this pandemic has really taught him a lot about how important it is that people feel emotionally secure before they can do anything else, right? So um, like um, Gus just mentioned, this notion of relationships and workshops also works within our learning communities. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that school, that school is also acknowledged that at the moment there's a lot going on um, and that perhaps, um, yeah, when, when we ask people to um, participate in professional learning, um, that yeah that it's um that it's important but we also understand that people feel um yeah tired and and and, and less resilient at the moment but i guess in general i'd say uh, there is a lot on uh, teachers plates and i think schools need to be very strategic about what they take on for a year you know it has to be very you got to think that through as a school and it's often too much, right? It's, you know, we're, we're going to rethink math and then next year we're going to rethink the way we do language. Mm -hmm. uh, we also do a workshop about agency because we also need to think about um, the approaches to learning or the skills mm -hmm. that are associated with uh, being agency. You know, so it's often so much, right? Oh, and, oh yeah, we also need to think about workshop, uh, readers and writers workshops. So I, I, I really think you need to focus and do that well rather than uh, sort of pile things on top of each other. Mm -hmm. So slow down and, and be strategic and, and, and thoughtful about um, what you're asking people to think about, right? And, and do it well and give it time. Because mm. then I think people will also understand what you're doing and why and how it fits in the bigger picture of your professional learning and, and your school goals. Um, so I think that when you do that well, people understand, okay, this is what happened last year. Now we're focusing on this so that next year we can do this. You know, the people also understand what they're doing and why. And that may help with being more motivated and more focused when, when you engage in the professional learning. What do you think, Kath? Well, Kath, I just oh, look, I'm, I'm nodding, nodding furiously while you're talking. Sorry, Anne, Andy. Well, I just wanted to talk because everything Anne is talking about is, is this idea of relevance and application so that everything is relevant. And, and that's my biggest fear when I'm working with teachers. And I I've, have made this very clear to teachers. I fear that I'm going to waste their time. That, that I don't want to waste their time right now. So if we are going to come together, what is the specific reason that they're going to come, that we are coming together and, and how can we make it as relevant as possible so that they can take whatever we talk about and apply it the next day to their teaching and learning, or at least think about their teaching and learning um, so that they can apply it in the near future. So relevance and application cast. So how can we continue to ensure that schools are making professional learning relevant and uh, that it can be applied straight away? Well, let me think. I want to say I think one of the contributing factors to the kind of sense that we're drowning a little at the moment, uh, particularly for those of you in places where you're still in lockdown is just the mere that the plethora of opportunities for professional learning that has bubbled up during this time I mean on the one hand it's fantastic that there's so much available but I've heard a lot of teachers say that they've actually found that really overwhelming because you could be at a webinar every night of the week 
every, all weekend. There's just so, so, so much available now. And I think I've spoken some te- to some teachers who have felt like they might have young children at home that they're also simultaneously trying to support in in remote learning and then there's other teachers that have got much more time that are on webinars and doing a whole lot of this um, you know online learning and I think I think that hasn't helped so I think the permission I think leaders need to to in, make sure that they're not even subtly assuming that everybody's going to be an omnivore and gobble up all this amazing professional learning that's out there and that people have to live a balanced life even more so if they're teaching from home because the blurry line even I found it with with you know doing online um, facilitation is that line between what's my home life and what's my working life and so that yeah and, and I want to say certainly I've absolutely noticed when I've been working with teachers who are based overseas compared to the teachers I'm working with here they're exhausted I've worked with some really tired teachers and I don't blame them I mean some of the teachers here in Melbourne talk about that being a three-month lockdown being the hardest time of their teaching lives and I have to gently say yeah I get it do you know I'm working with teachers in Hong Kong that have just passed their one-year anniversary of teaching remotely and the looks on their face like how have they done it so I don't think we can underestimate the the stress of that I'm amazed so many teachers are doing the professional learning they are quite frankly so I think permission to have that choice you know and 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 giving you know give agency obviously but but making sure that teachers have their agency honored in the choices that they're making right now because it isn't it is a ridiculously stressful time for a lot of people so I'd say I'd say that but in general because we always want professional learning to be relevant and applicable that's how it should be and it goes to what Anne said about um having a really clear vision and not piling not not getting excited about the millions of things that you could be learning about and and having a a clear focused vision as a school and I would also say of course because I'm me that if you if you see professional learning as as an inquiry so if it's an inquiry what you are doing is saying what's the where are the questions that are bubbling up for us as as educators right now what is it that we in this context are wondering curious about um what is it that what's the journey of inquiry we need to go on and if if it if it's framed as an inquiry the relevance and the application without sounding kind of glib but the the relevance and the application will take care of itself so you're doing it you're doing you're doing the professional learning for yourself it's not me coming and doing it to you just as if I'm working with children I'm not doing the learning to them I am I am supporting them um, and honoring the interests and the questions and the learning that they are doing so I think if you apply that lens to it um, that helps yeah. I think that that's beautiful, uh, Kath. Um, 
because and, and I also think when teachers go through these processes of inquiry, they also learn more about inquiry. <laughs> so we become better. That's right. It's, it's a win-win. <laughs> like, and with inquiry comes trust, right? Like, and I think that that's yeah. another thing. Yeah, like we yeah. what we're doing, I think uh, that's probably one of the yeah. things through this uh, pandemic. Like people all of a sudden were at home and they had to start uh, teaching remotely. You know, like so I think school leaders already had to let go and, and trust each other. Mm-hmm. I think that they do, and you know, I, I I'm always in awe of teachers, and, and I know that they're often so passionate about uh, that they're, they're uh, about their work and also about their learning. So I think we also need to trust them and, and perhaps I think together with them about, you know, what um, are, are, might be some success criteria for, for our inquiry, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And then I think the professional learning will be so much more uh, engaging, effective, um, exciting, um, collaborative. Yeah. Yeah, same rules apply as they would with kids. You know, I've got some work coming up next week and we have co-constructed what that might look like. The teachers have had a lot of choice about, you know, it's another lovely thing about doing the work online is that you can kind of curate opportunities for people to opt in certain things that they feel, you know, this might help me. I've got a particular interest in that. So, you know, when, when you can actually design it, with people rather than for people, again, relevance and application are much more likely to be there. Yeah. Have you changed the way that you get teachers to reflect on their learning right now, or is it is it the same way that you did before? Um, what does teacher reflection look like to you now compared to before? Maybe it is the same. I, I don't know, but I'm just curious, and I like to talk with principals and directors of learning and coordinators about this like what does teacher reflection look like now and what do you think um gosh um i guess like there's a couple of questions that work well face to face you know it would also work well when you're online so that's not that different i guess for me the, the proof is in, in the pudding right as you say uh, i think it's often the action and things that you see people do in the classroom that really tell you that the learning has been transformative so mm-hmm. i think i'm often more focused on the action rather than well, of course reflection is important um but i think when you start people when you see people really change the way they do things then then you know that um that that learning is really deep and has been transformative Mm. I agree with with Anne that the questions that work face-to-face are the same questions I would use online, you know, Uh, and we often, even within the learning experience, because, you know, as an inquiry-based educator, metacognition is really important, so I'm often asking people to just pause and notice how they're feeling, how they're responding, how they're learning, and we sometimes play with that what, what's what are we noticing that is different because we're working virtually and so on so we get those nice meta questions happening inside the experience but I guess coming back to what we said before about the 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 maybe the shift towards more spaced learning experiences so where it's easier for a school on the other side of the world to say can we meet you for an hour every fortnight you know for the next couple of months, what that itself does is, of course, offer up more opportunities for, A, them to have a play with some possibilities in with their children and then come back 
and talk about, well, what did you do? What did you notice? And what are you wondering? So those, those questions, um, that's always been part of spaced work, whether it's face-to-face or online, um, but perhaps because there's, a, a you know, shorter regular sessions over time, there's more opportunity for that kind of reflection. Um, if people get a chance to actually do something in between the sessions. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I, I take it that you both have always done these well-being check-ins even pre-COVID, you know, you, how are things sitting with you? How are you feeling right now? Have you yes, of more course. of an emphasis on well-being check-ins in the workshops that you're running? Or is it still just a part of what you've done and what you will continue to do? Because it seems like right now a lot of schools are really trying to emphasize well-being. So they're doing more mm-hmm. well-being check-in. So how does that play out in the workshops that you're leading right now? So, um, and Well, I think, you know, this notion of well-being is becoming more prevalent, I think you'd say, um, in my work nowadays than it used to be. I think I was always very focused on, I I guess I still am, on this notion of the evolving understandings, right, Uh, that I used to think now, I think, as the ways that our our thinking is shifting. Um, Like in um, New Zealand, they talk about this notion of working theories, which I think applies to children just as much as it applies to adults. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, we all have theories, right, Mm -hmm. about French by Donald Trump, climate change, you know, the list goes on, COVID, of course. <laughs> and I find it really interesting uh, to kind of see the shift in the way we think um, over time. Um, so th- that's always been really my focus. I think it's just recently that I've been more focused on well-being. So I often it's that sort of like check-in um, at the beginning of asking people about their days, how they're feeling, even my own um, meetings with my team. I, you start with that check-in. Mm-hmm. Um, just to get a sense of where people are at, right? Because, yeah, if you're not feeling well, then chances are not very high that your learning is going to be effective or that we're going to have a good thing. So sometimes just acknowledging those feelings and, and knowing what's going on in people's lives helps with um, with um, doing the work that you're about to do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think you're right. I think it's certainly been that idea of checking in because part of my work has always been about this parallel notion of while we are inquiring into the world around us, we're also always potentially inquiring into ourselves. So I love that the forwards and backwards or the outer and the inner simultaneous inquiry. So that parallel track for me has been a big theme of of the work I try to do with teachers as well as with children. What are you noticing about your changing understanding? Oh, what are you noticing about yourself in this? So that check-in is kind of part of the discourse of a strong inquiry stance. But I'd say, like Anne, um, I've noticed the amplification, rightly so, of um, well-being as, as part of the the dialogue amongst teachers. It's interesting here in in Australia as, as as schools resumed at the beginning of the year, there was actually a kind of directive, particularly here in my state that had the longest lockdown, a directive to our public schools, and I mainly work in the public system, um, to, to make wellbeing of staff and students a priority. So I've been co-designing with 
um, teachers and children quite a few journeys of inquiry around wellbeing itself. With the caveat too that young children are not particularly interested in having lots of conversations about uh, feeling that they also want to be doing, you know, and so a, a big part of wellbeing is like let's play and then we can that that we weave it into so I'm very conscious that as adults we like to have lots of deep conversations about this stuff but it's not always what a primary school age child wants to be sitting around talking about so I, I think we have to be a little bit careful there but sorry I digress we were talking about teachers but I think there's a danger that the stuff we think is important doesn't necessarily translate to engaging stuff for kids. Yeah, I, I like that. And just sitting around the campfire a little too long when talking about our feelings, when it's more, how about we experience something Yeah, talk about how it made us feel, <laughs> right? Yeah, let's uh, do that. Yeah, <laughs> let's just get on with it. Yeah. I guess in, in moving towards the end of the show, I want, I want to ask you one question, then we're going to jump into, I want to know what you're reading. Actually, a friend of mine, Marina Geisen, who's the uh, principal of a school in Ghana, um, wanted me to ask this question about what, what have you read over the oh. past few months that you're really fired up about? But before we get there, describe your own professional learning right now in regards to internal, not conflict, but in, you know, that tension within wanting the nudge of wanting to find out more, uh, kind of for me, because I'm back teaching again for the first time. Um, so I, I'm teaching eight classes this year. And so I'm back in the trenches of teaching and I love it. And I think it's hopefully making me a better leader. But when I go for my runs, um, I find myself thinking about uh, what am I, what am I going to try out next? What do I, where do I want to go with my students? Like what, do, what do I want them to think about? And so I'm, I'm, putting this pressure on myself to not create the next best lesson, but to think about the direction I want to go with teaching and learning and what I want to create as a result um, that my students can experience, you know, and then I have my leadership role and what I'm curious about and where I need to go with my leadership role. And I'm trying to find this kind of merging of my leadership and my teaching to make me better at both. So there is some internal tension there that I'm experiencing. So describe where you're at with your own professional learning and moving forward. Um, what thoughts arise for you or what tensions are you experiencing? So we'll start with you, Kath. Oh, I was so happy you'd start with Anne. <laughs> 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 Give me more think time. Um, look, I, this is this is going to sound this is a little vague, right? But I, you know how you you know how you have that that thing that happens. Say you're buying a new car, and you and then suddenly you see that car everywhere. Um, I've had this recurring thing that just keeps popping up in my world. And it's, it's morphing into a blog post, but it's something in terms of my own professional learning I think I'm really focused on at the moment. And it's something to do with that idea of the field beyond, which is that beautiful roomy poem, you know, the, between the right and the wrong, there's a field, I'll meet you there. Because I keep finding myself 
landing in either conversations about balanced literacy versus, um, you know, synthetics, synthetic phonics or explicit instruction versus inquiry or, you know, this political issue versus that one. So this, the kind of polarisation of ideas and I'm, I'm really interested in, in at the moment voices that offer a third way and so because you when you asked about reading that's what I'm reading also is anything I can get my hands on that that explores that because I think until particularly in education until we can do that that the um moving forward it, it continues to be agonizingly slow and we we really do need to learn different ways of having conversations about the things that we might have different ideas about. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in that and maybe just being being a lot older <laughs> than I used to be, funny that, yeah. but I think it's one of the things that happens as you get older is that you start to hear recurring arguments in the field, mm-hmm. recurring, um, you know, tensions that you think, wow, are we still arguing about that I thought we I thought that were really so I'm you know I'm interested in how you move beyond that so it's a little bit esoteric but that's where I am right now yeah and then figuring out how that can apply to your future work and how you can present that well I'm interested in how in how we when we work with children how we continue to engage them in learning how to move towards that field beyond in their conversations with each other and in their consumption of information. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. And what about you? Internal mm-hmm. tension or things you're feeling in regards to your own learning? Yeah, so I was uh, kind of processing this question, trying to listen at the same time. Yeah, lucky you. Kath, <laughs> <laughs> um, the field beyond, I'm going to think about that a little bit more. Yeah, so one of the things that I was wondering as I was listening was this idea of question. Like, there were so many things that popped up in my head that I thought, question, or should I be more focused, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I guess one of the things that I've done is I've done uh, a YouCube course with Joe Bowler about inquiry in math, which I really enjoyed, by the way. Uh, so one of the things that I'm figuring out is, is this idea of these kind of focused uh, math conversations with children in the morning, which I'm really enjoying, kind of figuring out ways that they the little whiteboards uh, and um, um, materials and so on. And how do you do that in a couple of minutes eh, with four and five-year-olds? So that's one of the things that I'm figuring out. Um, Another tension or big inquiry in my head has always been um, the power of um, dramatic play with young children uh, and what that does for children. And I've been really fascinated by the kind of conversations and the concepts that children are working through in in, in their dramatic play. Because it's a lot about responsibility and belonging identity right and wrong and it's a beautiful thing uh, but so incredibly complex if you think about the relationships and what the space does and time so there is a, a sort of in-between space of all these forces kind of working um in, yeah, pushing into this moment where children are constructing meaning through dramatic play which i find really really interesting i think somebody else has to write that uh, doctoral thesis <laughs> but you know like uh 
not me. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, but I guess, you know, one thing that really hit me as I was kind of thinking about a blog post is I thought, um, you know, when I was in the midst of um, this notion of, gosh, you know, I need to be resilient. How do I get out of this spot where things seem a bit doom and gloom and overwhelming? And uh, this was just after, we're, although we're in the midst of the lockdown, um, schools had to reopen. So there was a lot of anxiety and then um, many, many protocols which really prohibited us from working the way we want to work mm. with uh, fluid, um, multiple groups working in the same space, teachers working together. All of a sudden, mm. all of that had to be rethought. Anyway, so I was in the midst of thinking, gosh, and how do I get out of this? And um, I thought, well, maybe I need to write about the things that I'm that, that are going so well and that I'm proud of and the things that we've yeah. So then I got into this notion of um, um, gratefulness, and then, it, like it turns out, there is a pedagogy of gratefulness, and that really um, intrigued me. And some of the research around this idea that when we acknowledge the things that we're grateful for, you know, um, yeah, we kind of open up and we're more ready to learn. And I thought that was a beautiful of uh, looking at learning. It kind of ties back to this notion of emotional security, I guess. Indeed. Yeah. 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 And it's a nice connection there, isn't there, Anne, between that. I haven't heard that phrase, the pedagogy of gratefulness, and I'm connecting it to the field of appreciative inquiry, so that field that is all built around the kind of questions that you ask somebody to encourage them to identify the things that they are grateful for, proud of, the things that are working well. Um, that's such a powerful field. So there you go. Now you've got me jotting something down that I need to inquire into after this conversation. <laughs> I also love this idea of the parallel track and the outer inner, so I wrote that down too. So oh, yeah, yeah. It's a nice way of thinking about it, isn't it? Yeah. One of the things that um, I, I realized that I went into as a pedagogical leader and, and a coach for teachers is that I was trying to figure out what wasn't working and helping teachers figure out a solution. So I was very much problems focused. And then I realized, I was like, oh, I have not spent any time asking what's really working right now. What do we want to celebrate? Because I was so concerned with trying to make things right mm -hmm. and to fix problems. And I reframed it. And then I started uh, my meetings with, let's talk about what has been incredibly successful for you over the past few weeks. Mm -hmm. Most mm -hmm. of the teachers responded really positively, um, whereas a couple still were like, well, it's still really tough for me right now. And they didn't really want to go down that, that road of conversation. So, um, but there are a lot of things that are working so well right now and, and that needs to be celebrated. Um, so I'm glad that we, we had this discussion around that. So in closing the show, I guess I don't want to put a, a number on it, but one or two things that you've read over the past few months that has uh, really made a difference to you in the work that you do. So, Kath? Well, I pr I'll probably think of others after this, but I have got two books on my desk at the moment. So the two that I'm dipping into, I've mentioned this one on Twitter. So um, this is a book by James Mannion and Kate McAllister called Fear is the Mind Killer. And the subtitle is Why Learning to Learn Deserves Lesson Time and How to Make It Work for Your Pupils. And 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 James um, 
uh, I was actually in a conversation with him the other day, but he's done a really big deep dive PhD into the, that, the, the idea of how are we helping our children um, leave school knowing what to do when they don't know, you know, that, that idea that's been around forever, but he really has done such a beautiful job, not just of explaining how it can work and why it's important, but also addressing some of the, the other voices that say that's not going to work. It needs to be a knowledge-rich curriculum, et cetera, et cetera. So I think because it's my interest in, in new ways of seeing our different perspectives is what drew me to the book. So I'm loving that one. And one I've just started which is not an education book um, and it has a quite a strong Australian focus, but it's a book called Sand Talk. I'm going to show you because we're on Zoom so you can see it. Mm. And it's how did it, how Indigenous thinking can save the world. Oh, wow. And it is phenomenal. Um, it's It's been out for a few years now and I just have meant to get around to it and I was drawn back to it with this current inquiry that I'm doing and this is really throwing up lots of question marks about the kind of Western ways of dialogue and coming to understanding and drawing on um, really different ways of seeing what a, what we would call the co-construction of understanding and meaning, um, but even challenging my idea about that. It's fascinating. It's actually messing with my head, which is a sign of a good book. <laughs> awesome. I wrote those down. Great. And what about yeah. Yeah, yeah. When it messes with your head, it is that cognitive tension. It's a good yeah. thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> not to dismiss it, right? But to sort of you know be comfortable with with the fact that it's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uncomfortable because it's just intellectually challenging for me. It makes my brain hurt. I love it, but I have to work hard when I'm reading it. But that's good. <laughs> so. Um, what I still have to read, what, what I have started thinking about, and you think, how has he done that, is a book by Anne Fellow and Marty Carter, and it's called From Teaching to Thinking. Yeah. Oh, can you see me clutching my, my heart? Oh, I my know. God, it's so one of my favourites. It's usually on my desk. Um, I know. Yes, no, you, you will gobble it up, Anne. It's I beautiful. Know. Amazing thinkers. Um, but I listen a lot to podcasts at the moment, Andrea, Andy, uh, and Kathy. I think it's maybe also because, you know, the work of the schools and then the consultancy, there's a mm. lot going on. And I, I don't really have the headspace for reading at the moment, but I do have headspace for uh, listening to podcasts. So I was listening to this interview with Ampello, and there's a podcast called Awakened to Reggio, which I really like to recommend. It's really, really good. I'm writing it down. Yeah, <laughs> and she was talking about the kind of lenses. Um, through which we can think about our own thinking and, and, and think about um, our planning um, and perhaps the things that we're not able to see yet, right? Mm. And, and the questions can help us also to identify perhaps that we might be prejudiced or that we have uh, certain things within us that prevent us from seeing it a certain way. Um, so that makes me, gives me that cognitive attention and thinking, gosh, you know, what is it that I'm not seeing? Or, you know, Absolutely. what are some uh, lenses and perceptions that I bring that I'm not aware of? Right. Um, so I, I think that that's an interesting um, thing for me to think some more about. Mm. So when Anne Pello talks about uh, From Teaching to Thinking, that book and her work, then she talks about that sort of strategies and the steps that we can, um, the, the, the strategies that we can use for our planning and then be more thoughtful about that, so to say. 
I must have a listen. The book, one of the, it's very rich, but one of the most compelling things about the book is the quality of the writing. Mm. Just to, to read a book written by educators that, that have a way with words. It's poetry. It's beautifully written. So, yeah, big shout out to that one. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you raised it, Anne. Yeah, yeah, she speaks so beautifully too, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I've never heard her. I'm going to listen to that. <laughs> That's great. So I've written down four great resources right now. <laughs> I just want to share the one that has really uh, not changed my thinking, but I'm doing some deep work right now, and it's, uh, his name is Dr. Jim Lohr, and he's a sports psychologist, but he's taken years of his work and kind of refined it. So his work is applicable in any field. Um, but I, I heard him on the Tim Ferriss podcast, actually, and, and I ended up getting his book. His latest book is called Leading with Character, and included in, in that is a journal where you do 90 days straight of journal writing, which is really, really deep deep journal writing, but it's only 10 minutes. So for example, today I'm writing my eulogy. So how, how's that? <laughs> I have 10 minutes to write. Oh, it sounds like the, like the artist's way. Do you know that? The artist's way that takes that. Yeah. Yeah. Same sort of, it's really good to do. Yeah. And mm. he talks about, so when I got his book, he talks uh, early in the book about what turned him on to wanting to understand human character and he was 15 years old uh, way back a few decades ago working in a graveyard in the summer because he wanted to save he needed to save two hundred dollars to buy his first used car which was going to be like a 1949 ford or something so he worked the one summer in the graveyard and and he was a bit nervous about working in the graveyard but he found tremendous peace in it and he loved the work and he left every day feeling this kind of um, quiet energy uh, of just doing the gardening work and reading the tombstones. And then he really loved that space. So when he was 16, a year later, he went back to work in the graveyard doing the same job. But the boss came up to him and said, I've got another job for you if you want to make more money. So right away, he's like, I want to make more money because it'll help me get by my used car sooner. So it was working with a group of uh, guys that had to dig up graves because when the the grass surface above a grave kind of collapsed it meant that the 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 lid of the coffin had collapsed so they had to dig down and replace the lid so he said it's going to be really tough work and you have to be okay with seeing dead bodies so he's like oh i don't care if i'm going to make more money i don't care so this this group of men were like horrible looking scary people so his first day of work the foreman literally pulls him aside he's 16 years old and says if you talk about anything you ever see you're going to end up in one of these graves so what was happening was that he was working with this team that would go and they would rob the graves and he's 16 years old having to do this work he he ended up um, doing it for two weeks, and every time that they had to dig up, dig up a grave, the foreman would say, you better not say anything. I've already killed 11 people in my life. You'll be the 12th. So he went back to his boss and said, I don't think I meant to do this work. I just want to go back and do, do my old job. But he had nightmares for months, and that's what changed his life. And he started this lifelong quest of 
understanding human character, the good and the evil. And that led to his journey in life and the work that he's done. He's probably 80 now. Um, but it's a fascinating read and the journal writing is, is pretty intense and it's, it's been really rewarding for me. So I just mm. want to share that back, but amazing story. Yeah. Crazy story. But, um, so anyways, to conclude, uh, where can people find you on social media? We'll start with you, Kath, and then we'll jump over to Ann. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, but I forget to do it. I'm not very good with Instagram and LinkedIn, but I'm not very good at that either. Yeah. So I'm there. I just can't promise that there'll be much there. I'm trying to get better. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, great. Put that in the show notes. And Anne? (laughs) Same, same. My, ta- my daughter has taught me about Instagram, Kath. So mm. I'm about Instagram. And she's actually helping me because um, she really understands this platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been really yes. nice to see what she does with it. I, I didn't even know that there was something like called Instagram Stories, which probably I know now isn't a big deal of Instagram. <laughs> I know, but I can't, I can't, I still forget how to do it. And my daughter's poor things, uh, so many times I've had to say, sorry, can you show me this thing again? And part of me doesn't really get why you would want to put something out that disappears. I I want to go back. I want. I, yeah. So like I, Snapchat. Yeah, I'm. I'm sounding really old right now. I'm just going to shut up. Yeah, Snapchat. Yeah. I, I, that's what I say to my sons. I'm like, what? Well, I don't get it. But anyways. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so. But anyways, on Instagram, so one of the things that we're doing is, is kind of sharing a little bit of content and some thoughts around uh, things like documenting learning or uh, just yesterday I posted something about agency. So um, it's another way. I have to follow you, Anne. I'll, yeah. I'll follow you. I'll follow you if you follow me. I just might not go anywhere. That's all. <laughs> but, you know, like it's a nice way to kind of discover something new, right? And and and, 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 and um, trying yeah. to understand a bit more. So, yeah. Okay, great, great. Okay, well, uh, thank you both so much for the conversation today. I'm just going to close off the show, um, but uh, I just want to thank you. It was a great conversation, and hopefully um, educational leaders and teachers will, will find some value in it. So thanks for your time today. Thanks, Andy. It's always a delight and a privilege to be in the conversation with the wonderful Anne Bandan. So thank you. Okay, thanks. Uh, so, everybody, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Kath uh, Murdoch and Anne Van Dam, and I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. Andy Vasily.